at some point. Hello and welcome to the Legends of Tabletop podcast. I am happy to have with me today Stuart Sellens, author of the Any Winning uh, uh, Host and Hostility. Stu, how you doing? Hey, not bad. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thank, thanks for uh, for jumping in. We've we've got some love coming to you already from the Miskatonic uh, Playhouse. <laughs> I wonder who they are. <laughs> Ah, so 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 uh we'll, we'll oscar popped up some questions here we were supposed to have oscar rios with us today and perhaps he will still pop in uh but he has been silent so far so we'll see if he shows up uh but one of his first questions is who is Stuart sellens anything you would like to share so i am an author on the miskatonic repository the community content program for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I started off in March of 2022, so actually only fairly recently, after running the campaign, the wonderful Keith Herber campaign, Day of the Beast, I decided I'm going to slot my own homebrew scenario in there. So I ran it, great fun, thought, you know what, I wonder whether other people want this. Wrote it up, stuck it on the repository, and got a lot of love for it, which I really quite liked, so decided I want to write more. In my spare time, when I'm not doing all of this stuff, I'm actually an optometrist, so deal with your eyes, all that sort of stuff, working in the hospital service, working in the NHS uh, in the UK. That, I think, working in quite a high-pressure healthcare environment means that actually the writing is, is a sort of my let go. It's the release right. of the steam. Just put everything down onto paper and just get it written out there. It's great fun. Um, but yeah, so as you mentioned, Host and Hostility, there it is, um, was a um, an any nominated and award-winning <laughs> uh, collection of scenarios for the Miskaton repository. When Chaosium announced at Chaosium Con 22 that they were writing a Regency uh, source book, I was like, I need to get in on this. I need to write something. I love the Regency era. And so I started putting down things on paper, getting some uh, scenarios written down. The I was getting ready to publish, thinking I need to see the source book before I can publish. So I'll write everything out, wait until the release date, and then try and skim through cram the source book as much as i can before i actually release that maybe release a couple of days after the deadline was coming up i pre-ordered my book and then of course they pushed it back a couple of weeks uh, or month <laughs> as well so finessed the scenarios got it all written when ended up going live about a week after the uh, the drop of regency cthulhu which was very good timing on my part because of course everybody's hungry for more regency cthulhu content and uh, they, they really quite liked it. So I've written a couple more Regency Cthulhu scenarios since then, one of which is uh, part of Evan Perlman's wonderful In Strange Seas um, collection, uh, which is actually also in print, if you don't mind a bit more self-promotion <laughs> on that as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's generally me. I'm a bit of a history buff, bit of a nerd, enjoy Call of Cthulhu, work with eyes. Nice, very good. Uh, what What is it about the Regency period that kind of drew you more to that uh, as opposed to, you know, the traditional 1920s. So I think part of it is the strict social structures that you get there. In, mm. in the 1920s America setting, let's say, if you want to break into someone's house, other than the law enforcement, they might may or may not be around, depending on where you are, with, uh, you can probably get away with it. In Regency Cthulhu, you've got your extra skill of reputation, which of course diminishes just like sanity does. Mm -hmm. And it can lead to such wonderful role-playing situations where you think, oh, I'm sitting around this table. I've just seen somebody put something into that drink. They're giving me this drink. Do I drink it knowing that there's something in there? Well, if I don't drink it, I'm going to lose <laughs> reputation because I'm going to be insulting my host. And right. the, the role-play opportunities from that really are fantastic. Again, as with the sanity score, as your sanity decreases, as your reputation decreases, it has an impact on how you play your character if you become a bad sort, well, actually, maybe you might start uh, not caring what society thinks. Well, I'm a lost cause already. Let's throw caution to the wind while the rest of your party are still trying to be these uptight, upstanding citizens. Um, I also like the low tech, which, again, um, 1920s isn't quite as modern now, but take it back even more. Much more rudimentary weapons, much more rudimentary travel. Uh, it just really adds to the atmosphere. I'm yeah. also a big fan of the works of Jane Austen, a lot of the classic literature as well. Uh, Matthew Lewis is the monk uh, and things like that as well. Uh, so it just sort of really fits into the whole historical period that I'm interested in. It all started when I was in a production of Pride and Prejudice, the musical by Bernard J. Taylor uh, back in the early 2010s, playing Mr. Bingley, 
uh, my wife, or my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, was a really big Regency fan and just introduced me to the world of Jane Austen and the Regency. And yeah, all came from there, really. And a cat. That's always good as well. Yeah, he's running around the house meowing, so I figured maybe I'd just grab him. We'd be quiet. <laughs> we may very well get appearance from one of mine as well. They quite 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 often enjoy jumping up when we're <laughs> recording sessions. Doing something. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. It was the way. Yeah, I I didn't I wasn't necessarily uh interested in the region. You know, when they announced it, I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. It's another setting or whatever. I'm like, eh, I don't know. You know, for me, right? Like it seems kind of stifling, although it is interesting. Uh, you know, with the extra aspects and stuff. And then I listened to the, the the short campaign that Bridget ran for the Old Ways podcast. Oh, Echoes in the Mist. Fantastic. And it was so good. I mean, just yeah. top, like, just blew me away. And I was like, I don't know, maybe there is something to this. <laughs> might Again, check another, this another really good example of how the Regency can work, the way that Bridget Bridget twisted everything around with, with, with the three of them. It was absolutely fantastic. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah, can't wait to can't wait to see whether that comes up on the repository at some point because I'd love to run that for my group. I think they'd enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely a that's definitely one you want to. Uh, to so anybody who hasn't uh, subscribed to the Old Ways podcast, uh, definitely worth it. Check it out just for that uh, that series alone, and obviously all the other stuff is amazing as well. So good. <laughs> So there's there's a, there's a fair amount of Regency Cthulhu love as well because obviously we ended up with uh, the Old Ways podcast putting out their actual play. Um, I think Ain't Slade put out uh, one with the uh, Scott Dorwood playing as well. Uh, two seconds, I got that there. Yeah, I don't so, yeah, remember so, the da name Dance with it, Darkness, but... Dance with Darkness, and obviously the, the Miscatonic Playhouse have put out uh, uh, Cult and Culpability by T. A. Newman. There's a lot of people putting out the. I've compiled a list of yeah, sorry, a bit of a Regency nerd, and I like lists and spreadsheets. I compiled a list of all of the actual plays and scenarios and things out there just for reference. When people say, "Oh, what is there in Regency Cthulhu?" Well, here, have a look at this. Um, right. And at the moment, I've found we've got about twenty different actual plays from different groups of different Regency Cthulhu titles. And considering it's been out a year this month, that's not bad going at all, is it? Yeah, no, that's that's pretty good. Uh, what, and so to, to kind of backtrack, I guess a little bit, uh, what, what got you into cosmic horror? When did you started playing? Was, was Cthulhu your, your first RPG? Did you get in by some other Avenue? So the first RPG was a 16th birthday party, uh, D and D 3.5. My friend Chris had been given the DMG and the monster manual for his birthday. And we sat around the table rolled up some characters. I was a gnome barbarian called Grlump the Elder. Uh, and of course, back in 3.5, <laughs> a gnome barbarian, ah, not a particularly good mix, was it? And we had to hunt for the missing golden iPod of King Ferdinand. And I can't remember much more than that, but it was uh, what an introduction. And then obviously we played a little bit at school as well when we, when we could, but we're getting into exams at that stage. It fell by the wayside. University comes around. I joined the gaming society at Bradford for a couple of weeks and then other things come up but i started off getting in um reading the order of the stick webcomic on the giant in the playground mm, uh, website right and there was a on the forum there there was a, a, a group of uk-based playgrounders as we call them the people from the the playground website and we started having meetups in different parts of the country and that was a really good introduction to the cosmic horror so that's where i played my first call of cthulhu one shot and suddenly going from i'm not gonna say power gaming but going from these wonderful heroes bold adventurers to these very squishy people that the smallest thing really ends badly for them it just well uh blew my mind away that you could actually role play normality going wrong and it just got me hooked um i've played very little dnd since i've played a lot of call of cthulhu since um just really enjoyed it that way. I really got into the writing and the running for friends. Uh, I didn't actually run until the pandemic. It was the first time that we sat down and I ran some scenarios for friends and just took it from there. I now probably run more than I actually play uh, because oh it's it's the curse of the DM, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Can't yeah. escape it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Cosmic Horror. Uh, again, I actually didn't start reading Lovecraft until the pandemic. I, I knew that I quite enjoyed the unconceivable, unknowable horrors of Call of Cthulhu, but I didn't really look much into the lore until the pandemic came around and I had much more spare time. 
because uh, I wasn't doing anything in the evenings. I was doing a lot of theatrical shows and going out in the evenings, and suddenly that was all cancelled. Staying at mm-hmm. home in lockdown. Piles and piles of books that I've been meaning to read for years. <laughs> Picked them up, read the Lovecraft, and gone from there. What nice. was the uh, What was the initial story that hooked you? So the first one that I read was the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Okay. Which, again, actually speaking of it, it's set in the sort of the 1790s, that historical period that I find quite interesting. Um, yeah, but I, I wanted to start with some of the longer stuff before I read the short stories, whether that's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing. But uh, yeah, Charles Dexter Ward followed by um, Mountains of Madness, I think was a good introduction. Oh, you yeah, picked the real, you picked the, you picked the real chunky ones. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I actually came into it um, through R.E. Howard, not H.P. Uh, mm. Lovecraft. My first mythos story that I fell in love with was the Black Stone. So it probably reflects on my work because it tends to be a little bit more pulpy than the yep. than other stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. No, no, no. Thanks for no worries. Okay, so are are we moving into the third question? Uh, we're just uh, we're jumping around. It, it's okay. it's very sort of loosey goosey. All right. So uh, I yeah. I lo- I, let's go with this. All right. So what's a a book, short story, movie, TV show, published scenario that you didn't write that you consider a perfect example of cosmic horror? Ooh, that is a good question. Like out of everything out there, everything out there. What do you think for you? Because it's very subjective. What captures it best? I'm going to go for the classic. And I'm going to say... Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the Robert Chambers story in the book, The King of Yellow. It's the Rue of of the Dragon, Street of the Dragon, where the man is in the church. He sees the pallid-faced man, and and he's followed back. And and then we spit back to the church. And I think it's just... Again, it's... The unknowable, the unconceivable, the, the warping of everything. It's a short story, but it's a very sweet story as well. I think it's just perfectly encapsulated. It's, yeah, just to me, reading it, I was like, yeah, this is what it's about. This is where you are. Um, I, I like, I like, I, I liked Chambers' book. And actually, I have to say, I quite like some of the ones at the end that weren't related to The King in Yellow as mm-hmm. well. As a small point of order that, that I, I want to bring up now, uh, one thing that I dislike is the way that the King in Yellow has been conflated with Hasta. I really like the King in Yellow as being his own entity, his own outside of the Cthulhu mythos, just this this presence, this entity that is separate and menacing. I think almost it makes him less menacing if he's like, oh yeah, King in Yellow. Oh, it's actually just an avatar of Hasta. It's, it's personal preference. I know everybody has their own opinions on this. and uh, that's Well, as as a huge Haster King and Yellow fan, um, I like to think of him as his own separate kingdom. Mm. Like I treat, I do treat him as an avatar of Haster, and I treat, you know, Carcosa as the dead kingdom around Alva de Baron. But it's like it's separate from all the yeah. other mythos stuff. It's like if you're writing a scenario with the King in Yellow, you don't need anything else. You know, you don't need it. His mythology is rich enough to carry the entire narrative. So I would agree there. But that's the wonderful thing about the mythos is that it's so open to interpretation. And mm-hmm. look at what the later authors have done as well, following in Lovecraft's footsteps, but just twisting it around. It's. Yeah, it's always been a shared universe. It's uh... absolutely. Um, you know, there were there was Lovecraft fanfic before fanfic was the word. You know, <laughs> I, and again, my you know, my introduction is through fan fiction. It's through you know R. E. Howard writing fan fiction of H. P. Lovecraft stuff. Yeah. Okay, so in your own words, what is the Regency period, and what drew you to it? So the Regency period is the period of change between the pastoral countryfied rural England and the industrial revolution. You've got the looming technological advances just ahead of you, just that shadow of change is creeping in. You've got a little bit of people trying to cling on to the old ways as well. So you're in that time of flux. Society is still very strict. It's not as moral. It's not as moralistic as the Victorian era, 
brings in, which is Gaslight, a completely different monster, which is, again, a lovely, wonderful thing. But it's not quite as free as the 1600s. You've, you've got the shadow of the Civil War has passed. That, that's disappeared, the, the English Civil War, uh, 1640s. Um, the Napoleonic Wars, the imperial machine in Europe is starting to build up as well. You've just had the horror of the French Revolution. But in England, you feel safe. In England, that, that, that shadow is, is always present. But there's a certain amount of denial, which I feel fits the cosmic horror vibe very well. If you've always got that sort of just watching over your shoulder, just to make sure, but you go on with your life. Is it the imperialism in Europe, the French Revolution, that is making you on edge? Or is it something else? The strict social rules, as um, I've, I've mentioned before, which really tie in well with the Regency uh, Cthulhu skill of reputation, um, again, add for great role playing in the uh, in the game, which means that you really can bring to life the the Regency characters that you see so often on our screens, the the Bridgerton characters, the Jane Austen characters. Um, there was a wonderful TV series uh, by the BBC a few years ago called Taboo, which had I did uh, see some of that. I did see some yeah. of that. Uh... But, but again, it, it it pitched what what would happen if you do have somebody who's outside of society coming in. And you've, you've basically, you've got, what's his name? Um, Tom Hardy. Right. Tom Hardy's character. He was like a half, he was half Indian, I think. And he, had he was. His facial... uh, mother was from Nootka Sound, which is just on the south of the coast of Alaska, I think. I'm not particularly good with North American geography, sorry. Um, but again, it's this character. It's what happens when somebody who has his own social rules, and if anything, is probably more civilized than the rest of society, comes mm -hmm. in and throws the spanner in the works. Mm -hmm. And that is what you can do with Call of Cthulhu. Again, you could take it the other way. You could go for your very strict um, military regulations and rules with your Sharps rifles, with your Horatio Hornblower, which, again, a bit of self-promotion, sort of what we did in, in Strange Seas, which is uh, <laughs> reputation and horror in the Regency Royal Navy. Again, I'm going to mention Evan Perlman for that as well, who organized such a wonderful uh, project as well. But what is Regency era? The Regency era is a chance for you to explore society as the monster. 1920s, society's almost in free fall. You've got prohibition, you've got gangs in America, you go over to America, uh, go over to Europe, you've got the rise of fascism in, in, in Europe. It's already sort of on the decline. In the Regency era, you've got that level of safeness, which is that hint of something's changing. So to me, that's what draws in me to the Regency era. Interesting point. Um just to see if you agree. Um, it seems to me like you like the Regency because in, in England, it's almost like the eye of the hurricane. Yes. It's like everything is going crazy around it and you feel safe, but are you really? Absolutely. That's, and that's, I think that's in, a really good in America, in the 20s, you have the rise of fascism in, in England. You know, we were fighting in the, there are wars in the Philippines. You have the rise of, of you know, the Japanese empire. And America felt safe and isolated. But were we really, you know? Absolutely. Good point. By not entering into the League of Nations, um, I suppose you were. The, the, uh, who was it? Woodrow Wilson at that point? Yeah, yeah. His policies of isolationism were, again, very much keeping them out of the world stage. Right. Pretty much to the detriment of, 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 the, rest of, the, world. of the world. Yeah, pretty much. We all know how that worked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not our not. And it was hard. And I, the funny part is, it, it was our idea. Yeah, <laughs> it was our idea, and then we said, "Yeah, we're not going to be a part of it." I'm like, "Then why did you suggest?" I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not holding America personally responsible, but in our GCSE history, which was our um, sort of sixteen-year-old uh, exams, it very much was. We were taught that America was the reason that everything went to shit. It's. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful oh. bit of, uh, but I guess yeah, not necessarily I'm, wrong. And America's also the reason you guys aren't speaking German. So let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's be said. clear. <laughs> if it went to shit because of us, it didn't get flushed because of us. <laughs> I think there's a, I think it's a multifactorial cause for a lot of the stuff that happened in the 20th century. Right, uh, and I'm, right. I'm holding nobody personally responsible. Right. Well, okay. and it, and it's it's close too, right? Because you have rise of fascism, eugenics, and all that stuff that. Hitler picked up from ideas that were generated here. And in the beginning of that, 
America could have gone either way with that. Like that, there there was no guarantee. Well, there was, a, there we was an American the Nazi the party. There was an American Nazi party yeah, yeah. that was yeah, the German political bomb. rallies. And yeah. there was a British. Uh, the British Union of Fascists were yeah, a very yeah. big mover. Um, so yeah. yeah, nobody's hands are clean in this uh, situation. But yeah, ours only get dirtier. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, they are no longer prominent in the. UK, well, yeah. I mean, that's... I could get you started talking on the current political situation. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> that's not. We're not talking about that tonight. Right. That's not. We digress. I think we've safely covered question five uh, in your answer to question four. Uh, basically, it was like sell me on on Regency, like, and you know, you had me at sharps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I might not want to go to a garden party. Uh, you know, I might not want to. You know, be a dilettante and, but Sharps rifles, Horatio Hornblower, yeah, I can get behind that. Um, so you want to you want to take question the next one, John? Sure. Uh, do you want to give us a brief overview of of host and hostility? So host and hostility started as a question. What happens if you started a scenario with a choice for the investigators? They could follow any path. And it would take them down a different location. So host and hostility, I, I claim, is a collection of three scenarios. It's actually not. It's a collection of four scenarios. The first scenario is a prologue. The investigator um, is introduced at a ball to three potential suitors. A naval captain of mysterious origin, but of very rich fortune. A widower uh, and a clergyman. And a hedonistic baronet, a member of the nobility. And depending on which invitation the investigator accepts, they walk into one of these three paths they're invited to three events all at the same time so they have to choose one of them and we take it from there the themes that are played up on are very much the isolation because it's host and hostility is a single player uh, scenario um, it's one investigator one keeper it started off as a group of investigators but actually if you think about a lot of austin's novels you've got your one heroine with the possible yeah. exception of sense and sensibility, but you've got your one heroine who follow, falls down the path and you, you experience everything from her point of view. So host and hostility is mimicking that. It's an homage to that. And it really plays up on the social expectations and the horror of isolation. If you are alone in an unfamiliar situation, you really can build up the tension. And of course, there's some mythos chucked in as well. Although <laughs> the scenarios do range from weird science to high mythos. So it's, it's almost a different gradients that the first scenario uh spoilers to anybody who hasn't uh read or played or listened to first scenario is very mythos light uh third scenario is extremely mythos heavy so <laughs> it's that it's that balance as well and right. it's possible that if you wanted to you could change around the dates on the handouts and have one investor go to the first party and then next week be invited to the second one and the third one be invited to the third one as well but there's right. a lot of inspiration from novels of the time um the first one's actually based on uh, an actual medical case from the uh, 1790s early 1800s the second one is uh, very much built up on the gothic tropes and the the third one is uh, playing more on uh, sort of the bridgerton vibes as well of the very popular recent netflix series as well cool I, in a one-on-one -on -one scenario is is, uh, is a different different kind of beast i, I do a one-on-one -on -one, uh, we play a noir game uh, my buddy kurt and i and uh, it, it's it's really intense just having one one GM one player. It, it's a different kind of a game. It's very cool. You get through so much in a session as well, uh, and you really give the player options for role play. It's very easy if you've got a. I'm preaching the converting, I'm sure. If you've got a large group with some people not as confident or not as involved, engaged as others, you quite often can end up with two two of the four taking the spotlight and the other two mm -hmm. just um, bimbling along behind. But one on one, you've got such an intense relationship between the keeper and the player and it's not for everybody some people don't like that yeah. some people like to be lost in the crowd and tag along with investigation but the I, I think when i've played it and when i've listened to it being run the the role play that comes out between keeper and investigator it really grabs you because there's yeah. nowhere for you to hide and yeah. you're thrust into that situation it's great it's 
Yeah, when 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 he first uh, proposed the idea, I was like, "Ooh, I I don't know. That's that's like a lot <laughs> to carry, you know." Because we obviously we record everything, and I was like, "Ooh, I don't. All right, well, let's let's try it and see what happens." And you get so uh, involved, not only in the story and the role play, and the in the you really get to know who the character is, and it gets very personal. It, it's a, it's a really uh, it, it's a really fun experience. I mean. Again, if, you, if you're in for that kind of thing, like you said, not that's not everybody's kind of game. Some people just want to show up and chuck dice and like, yeah, you know, it's a social experience. We're playing a game, we're hanging out, we're having a good time, uh, but so, it, it's it's intense. That that's one thing I think that actually a lot of role playing games nowadays are, are providing. They're providing different experiences for people. You've got your single player, single investigator keep uh, scenarios. You've got your large multi year campaigns. You've got your your short scenarios. You've even got um, your uh, choose your own adventure style mm-hmm. uh, RPGs out there as well. Um, and even, I'm, I'm going to shill for Chaosium here for a second. Chaosium provides all of those for you. Uh, and, there is, <laughs> and there is an example of every single one of those types on the Miskatonic repository as well. So the community are writing these these things. There's multi, well, probably not multi-year spanning, but there's long campaigns. There's a solo adventure. There's one-on-ones. It's whatever you want. There's something out there for everybody. Before we get too far afield, I want to go back for a moment and, oh, yeah. and talk about one-on-one gaming. <laughs> um, if, if, if the keeper and the player are familiar with each other, if they're friends, and there's a little bit of knowledge there, it really becomes a form of therapy <laughs> um, because the keeper will know the sensitivities, the buttons, what what they're afraid of, what they aspire to of the player, and be able to tailor quite nicely um, the scenario to get the most emotional response out of that one player. Um, sometimes you can do that in a group where you're spotlighting one character and everybody knows, okay, this is this is you know theirs, and we're just tagging along. But one on one, you don't even have that. It's it's yeah. just can be completely um, focused on getting the most emotional response, you know, whether that be positive or negative uh, out of that one player. It can really be magical when it's done well, Classic. and it, it but it it can be dangerous. I mean, you really don't want to, you know, you don't want to pick scabs. You don't want to um, elicit an allergic reaction. Um, because you know that person, you know what sets them off. And I think that's a, a very important thing for, again, I'm going to move away from one-to-one very shortly, very quickly. Uh, I think it's a very good point for any game. You should <laughs> always be respectful of your player and your keeper's sensitivities. Mm-hmm. If you know that something is going to upset them, if you know that something is not what they want to play, don't do it. You're Ultimately, you're creating that collective storytelling, that collaborative storytelling for you as a group. Everybody has to be involved. Everybody has to be engaged, but everybody has to consent to what's being done. And right. okay, yes, this is horror. This is horror. Or you talk about it beforehand. You talk about right. it beforehand Absolutely. and see if they want to stretch. You give yeah. them that opportunity. You know, you don't make that decision for them all the time. No. Um, Absolutely. What, this is this is horror horror role playing. So you, obviously we should be pushing things a little bit. But if there's an absolute oh, gray black area, a red area, blackout area, don't want it. You respect that, right? Yeah, the, it's. There's one Conran I have that it's a perfect example of this. It's it's set, all the characters play Japanese soldiers at the end of the Second World War. And one of the characters is, is a veteran of the Chinese campaign through Nanking. And in his background, it talks about like the incredibly horrific war crimes he's crea- he's you know committed. And then, and then there's a throwaway line. It says, "But it doesn't really matter because it's not like they were people; they were Chinese." And it just shows like the horrific nature of this this um, PC, who's you know meant to be uh, a very contra like the character who's just going to send everything off the rails. And I, whenever anybody picks him, I say, "Come with me." And we, we leave the table and I let them read it. And I said, if you've got a problem and you can't, you do not want to play this guy, let me know and I'll swap him out. And I've had people look this over. Oh, no, there's no, <laughs> there's absolutely. And it was like, you know, because I mean, he's meant to be a revolting character. Yeah. Um, and some people will want to explore that just as the depravity of the human condition. 
you know, like they'll do it, you know, but other people, they, they can't even put themselves in that moment. Um, yeah. So there are, there are moments where you really need to give people the opportunity to choose. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I'm not up for this. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, I think this says communication yes. is probably one of the most important things you will ever do in role play. Um, oh, it's all communication. All, it's nothing but communication. Yep. Sitting around talking with your friends, rolling dice. Well, and it's important even with your established group, you know, to run a session zero, uh, to make sure you have all your, your safety tools available, X card, you know, lines and veils, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you know your friends, but, you know, there may be things that they haven't talked to you about. And, you know, for the most part, you know, the major things, right, are not going to come up in game, right? Like you're not going to have, you know, uh, violence to children, generally speaking, you know, rape, you know, those sorts of things are not, it's, you know, it could be something that's off screen that informs a scenario or a situation, but that's not stuff that you want to role play. <laughs> really. Like, it's, it, you know, all, all those things are important going and even, even with people, you know, and especially with people that you don't know in a con scenario that at least, uh, you know, present those, those lines and veils and all that stuff for people to, um, know that there's a, uh, you know, a safe space for them to be like, you know what, I, let's just move on. You know, that's, I've, I've I don't want to do this right now. I've had people sit down at a table at a con and I'm saying, uh, this scenario is going to be dealing with date rape and abortion and illegal abortion in the 1920s. If you have any problem, find another game. And usually the players are like, holy shit, we're going there. Okay. And they roll up their <laughs> sleeves like, oh, this is going to be something. Um, but, you know, other people hear that and they'd have run for the hills. Like, I do not want to deal with, with those kind of issues. Well, even Girl in the Pines, to, to, to some extent, you know, is kind of borderline a little bit, right? I mean, just the, in the nature of the relationship, things like that. You know, not to spoil anything, but. Um, I suppose. It kind it's of. A sad, it's a sad story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it could just be murder yeah i don't know i mean whatever <laughs> we play a lot of games together so we're <laughs> okay so do we want to move on uh yeah sure okay, um what's what's next from Stuart salad uh what are you currently working on what are you planning to work on what's your what's on your your future wish list of projects where do we go from here i have two two main projects i'm working on at the moment one is a 1920s scenario set on a train I quite like trains. Uh, it's a bit of a break from the Regency stuff as well. Uh, that one is uh, going to come out of the Miskatonic Repository. And the what other... The, oh, it's called Lost and Found. Lost and, and Found. involves lost property on a train. Um, Does the entire scenario take place on the moving train? No, it takes place partly on the moving train and partly in the lost property office at a remote station. But I'm working... I'm, I'm still in sort of development of this as okay. well, so it may very well end up on the train. Uh, but uh, it's, it's also coming up suggested that I'm, I'm thinking could this be slotted into an already existing campaign if you've got a, uh, a long train journey as a drop in drop ins are great here we go just have this here which i think could be quite nice and i'm plotting out ideas for a pulp regency campaign based on the scarlet pimpernel so sort of bring in reign of terror bring in the regency again show that contrast between the two pulp to me in context of Regis Cthulhu is very much swashbuckling. It's your Zorros, it's your Scarlet Pimpernels, oh. uh, it's your Princess Bride. Uh, I think that could be quite fun. Uh, I'm, I'm working on four scenarios for that. First one's pretty much done as an introductory, and then I need to actually flesh out the campaign. That's going to take time, no rush on that. And the other other project is that I'm producer of the Miskatonic Repository. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm producer of the Miskatonic Playhouse uh, actual play podcast as well so i'm working on a few scenarios with that uh running those for the, the guys uh playing in them and doing a bit of editing doing a bit of stuff there as well so keeps me busy keeps me out of traveling keep, nope, keeps you the, off the streets <laughs> for the podcast are you generally running stuff from you know, repository material or are you guys we a are bit more expansive with at the moment we're solely running uh repository content so the the, That's cool. the 
the reason we came up with the playhouse in the first place was we were looking for outlets for our scenarios. We're all content creators ourselves. And we realized that actually there's a bit of a gap in the market. There's a lot of podcasts out there that run the officially published chaos and stuff, which is great. And some of them will run their own scenarios that they've written, which again, absolutely great. But you've got a lot of people out there writing over a thousand titles on the current repository at the moment. And we thought, well, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Submit your scenario. We'll run them. We've obviously had a lot of scenarios submitted, right. so we're, we've not been able to run every single one of them. But we we're working through, and we've we've put out um, multiple scenarios every year, uh, and we've had a lot of fun exploring scenarios that otherwise wouldn't have been, uh, would you wouldn't have been find actual place for unless the author actually runs it themselves. And as a community group, we're, we're basically we're from the community for the community. Oh, okay, we've got a couple of uh, our own grown scenarios there as well. So I mentioned uh, Cult on Culpability earlier. Well, that was actually a response to the Regency book. Uh, our um, our host, T.A. Newman, he wrote the scenario, ran it for us, and he's now writing it up for the repository. So it's going to be a repository scenario. Nice. It's just not at the moment. Uh, but other than that, other than dabbling into, we might be looking at other things, maybe a Jonestown content, uh, Compendium or uh, Rivers of London scenario here and there. But other than that, it's all pretty much miscount repository. That's very cool. That, that, that's a cool avenue to take to to showcase other other writers and other scenarios and, and bring a little bit more light to that. that that's really cool. Uh, do you have guest GMs come in as well? Uh, to run their scenarios? We have indeed, yes. We had uh, Alex Gallot ran Viral for us, which we released this Halloween. Um, we had um, so the three host and hostilities uh, scenarios. I've had guest keepers in. So we had Cat uh, Clay, uh, who wrote uh, The Well of All Fear and The Hammersmith Haunting. She's a, an author from Australia. We had XP Lovecat, Leslie Horn, who's known as the Council of Shoggoths and her wonderful reviews. And we had Lynn Hardy, uh, co-author of uh, Regency Cthulhu and line editor for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, running ne needs no introduction, well. Lynn Hardy. Needs no introduction at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That one is currently in editing and will be hopefully released within the next couple of months as well. So yeah, we get guest keepers in. We get guest keepers to run their own scenarios. We get guest keepers to run other people's scenarios. Um, if you've got a scenario and you want us to run it, drop us a line. If you want to run it yourself, have a chat with us. Some scenarios we want to keep in-house with us running it. Some scenarios we will absolutely let other people run. But we'll have a chat, conversation. As we said, communication is key. Nice. Very cool. Cool side note. Um, Kat's going to be writing for Golden Goblin Press in 2024. Oh, that is awesome. She's a, cool. She won a slot in a project that uh, we have to get officially approved in the next couple of months, but um, uh, she's already on the clock. Fantastic. Nice. And then she was on uh, Miskatonic University podcast. I don't remember which episode. I believe it was relatively recently, though, um, within the last... 20 episodes maybe absolutely lovely uh lisa and i had lisa paddle our our, our chief editor and uh, the three of us sat down for a, a nice chat you know dueling time zone chat <laughs> and uh we're really looking forward to working with her and she recently won a ditmar award as well which is the um australian science fiction achievement award i think which is uh, pretty impressive too nice yeah, she's the she's the exact kind of author Golden Island Press is looking for. One who happens to be a Roman history nerd on top of everything else. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to circle back real quick. Um, okay. You were talking about running, uh, writing a, a pulp Cthulhu campaign. Hmm. Do you feel like the the pulp aspect, right, the the, the survivability of of the investigators? reduces a little bit of the cosmic horror aspect the, the right age so you, old are the age old argument of pulp so right i'm gonna i'm gonna cycle back even further to what my one of my first comments on uh, getting into call of cthulhu about how i liked how squishy the people were and i didn't particularly mm -hmm. like the power game with dungeons and dragons i'm going completely against that and say actually i do quite like the pulp i do agree it can bring down the the horrors but on the other hand Azathoth, stats-wise, and I disagree that he should ever have been statted in the first place, has 300 hit points. I mean, even a pulp character is not going to be able to punch Azathoth. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you, you're going to have a bit more survivability about things like ghouls and deep ones. But again, for the Regency era, I think that little bit more survivability adds a bit more role playing. It's that trade-off, isn't it? You, you're right, mm -hmm. you've got a, a, a standard Regency Cthulhu investigator running a deep one with a knife. That's not going to end well. 
got a pulp Regency Cthulhu brandishing their rapier, you end up with a very cinematic scene. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and that, I think, is what you want to play on. You want to play on the cinematic element. Uh, and again, your Indiana Jones is wonderful. We love that as well. Right. So it's... Uh... Oh, there I... we go. Thank you, Cosmic <laughs> Outburst. <laughs> I, 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 I will, I will play devil's things. advocate and say, um, number one, I came to this from Ari Howard, so I love my pulp. Um, the Mummy with Brendan Fraser is one of my favorite movies of all time. And if the that's not ever. a Pulp Cthulhu movie, I don't know what the <laughs> hell is. But The Mummy is not a horror movie. The Mummy right. is an adventure film. Um, right. It is... It is it has moments where you you know you have jump scares and you're creeped out but you're never really afraid because you know the heroes are going to to come through i like running games where if the players had this character for more than two games they are terrified that they're going to lose them um and that's always that's always the case. And every once in a while, you've got to kill a character or allow a character to die, just to remind the the, the team that you know this is called. We are playing Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. If you take that away with pulp, and you give them you know two and three levels of hit points, you're no longer playing a horror game. You're playing an adventure game. And there's and there's nothing wrong with that. I played D and D for years. Um, but I like Call of Cthulhu because it really has that mortality factor. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's easy to be heroic when there's nothing at stake. It's very mm -hmm. hard to be heroic when one shotgun blast, one, you know, two well-placed rounds from a 38 and you're done. Absolutely. You know, you know falling off a roof, you could be done. <laughs> <laughs> a bed pushes you out of a window. That's your a bed pushes you out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, the, 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 and the terror that players experience, especially in, in that one, um, I had one player, you know, just so angry and it said, there's nothing wrong with this house that a few oily rags and a bucket of kerosene won't solve. <laughs> and he was just ready, like ready to burn the house down. It was like so enraged because he was afraid. Yeah. And you you're not gonna get that level of fear in Pulp Cthulhu. And and for me personally, I like that level of fear. I like putting yeah. players in the the you know in that point where they're like terrified. But that's me. Yeah. Very valid points. Absolutely. It's uh, again personally, I like. So so where do you fall, Stu? I like this bit. I personally on the I on like... the, the pulp and and lethality. I... I'm Neither. definitely more towards the classic, the squishiness. The Scarlet Pimpernel idea was very much what drew it to the the pulp because, of course, you you look at the, of the classic films. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all swashbuckling there as well. Um, but yeah, one thing I do quite like actually is when scenarios or campaigns put this is the scenario. But if you want to pulp it up, here are some tips for you. As yes, well, which I think is a very elegant solution to that as well. But as I said. The scenarios, the campaign is currently very much in development stage at the moment. There's nothing uh, secure with the plot, so who knows? It may end up being extremely squishy. Investigators, it may well be a bit more high pulp. <laughs> we'll see where we end up. Eh? And, and either either one will be fine because people, you know, even people who like, you know, the the fear and the squishiness. Every once in a while, you just want a beer and pretzel kind of session. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know you'll as a palate cleanser, to you know yeah I do want to you know chop down a, a, a you know a, a dark young of Shabnagaroth with an axe you know like, and then you know just to get it out of my system let's go kill some or let's go punch some Nazis and and then get back to the regular horror yeah. you know game. But I think that even in you know a game like D and D right so we we played a ton of fourth. Uh, whenever I ran, when you know, when, when things would come to combat, as it inevitably did in the D and D game, was to because it was a resource management game, was to use as many of the players' resources as possible. You may not actually kill them, but there needs to be the threat of death. Because otherwise, why are we doing it, right? Like if you're just going to succeed at everything all the time, there's no tension. 
like, yeah, okay, maybe that's fun because we get to hang out and roll dice, but also it's not compelling storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you need to have it. And, and in our Invictus game, you know, we, we lost Jesse's character halfway through, you know, three quarters of the way through. He, you know, he died. We didn't know that at the time. There was some speculation. Um, but, but there, but there has to be that for it to be compelling and, and to be, you know, really interesting. I, I feel like anyway. And what's really great now to talk about the Invictus campaign, you're it, we're two adventure, we're two adventures beyond where that one character died and the surviving players are still dealing with the fallout oh, as, of, you know, of yeah. like one of the NPCs last night was like giving John's character shit and saying, your friend just died. You know, there are other people who could be doing this. You need to start stepping back. You know, you're not, you know, you're not 22 years old anymore. You know, basically you need to start thinking about a life beyond this. And um, another character says, I'm not going to drink at this party because when I drink at this party, I get very loose lipped and she's still dealing with all of the anger and, and mm. grief. So she starts babbling stuff about the mythos when she's drunk. (laughs) That's happened. So the death has like forever changed those surviving characters in, in such a beautiful way, but you're not going to get that in pulp because no one's going to die. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is I, I, I thought about this last night is I don't know how close we are to losing Macrion at this point. Because of all of that, because of the situation that we find ourselves in now, Macrion is like, old, the oldest character in the group. He's a scholar, and he's not really a fighter. But uh, yeah, he's so starting. Like, to... It's always the way, though, isn't it? Uh, when I ran Day of the Beast, um, we started off with a lot of characters. Only one of them survived all the way through, and he was the um, he was the lob. Uh, he was the mob lawyer who had a strength of like thirty, uh, the constitution of about forty. And yet he managed to survive. <laughs> if you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Macrion's thinking of of hanging it up. Uh, maybe I don't know. No, uh, I get it. I get it. I mean, you've had a good run with the character, but you know how long? You know how low is that luck going to? How low is how low is that luck pool going to get before it's too late? Well, it, you know, and it's also about legacy, right? Like, like, uh, like his, uh, his wife, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, like you're, you're old <laughs> and there's, there's not, he's like, they're, he's they're... like 15 years her senior in, in Cthulhu Invictus, which isn't strange because yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, he's, he's pushing 50 and has no, no legacy. He has no heirs. You know? So it, it 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 gave me a lot to think about after we finished that session. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Which gets back to when your keeper is a friend and knows you personally, he knows what because we're both middle-aged guys pushing yeah, 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you start thinking about your legacy and and you know what's gonna come after. Um, so I knew this would be a storyline that would really grab him. Um yeah. anyway, just we digress. <laughs> yeah, we're we're old. You're not. We'll shut up. <laughs> You'll have plenty of time to be old and gray and bitter like we are. <laughs> uh, but it's great. It's you know. I think the repository is 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 wonderful. I think it's a great platform for new talent, and it's you know it's a great petri dish for publishers like me because you can peek in. And see who's doing well and say, you know, let me get their contact information. Let me see if they've got any interest in X project or B project or D project. Um, and then you showcase new talent. You know, we, we had a we had a project last year that it was nothing but brand new authors who'd had like uh, one or two things out, maybe, or it was their first adventure. Um, you know, they'd have a few things on the the repository. So, um, you know, I love giving new authors a chance because we were all new authors at one point, you know, very commendable. Absolutely. And you got to pay it back. You know, once you once you once you get to a point where you can haul people over the wall, you've got to 
you owe it to the universe to haul some people over the wall with you. All right. Is there, where are we now? Uh, eight, maybe. Do you want to take that one? Oh. Oh, how well, this is, he's already answered this. How often yeah. do you run Call of Cthulhu? And the answer is all the goddamn time because you got the channel where you're running all the time. How often do you uh, run a game uh, or get to play in them? So I. What's your, would, what's your player keeper ratio? My player keeper ratio. Ooh, okay. So um, my player keeper ratio as of last year uh, was pretty much nine to one. Yeah, it's about me. My, <laughs> since this year, my player keeper ratio has been much, much more one to one. Wow, I've got a good, I've oh, got nice. a good balance at the moment because I don't actually run as much for the playhouse as I play, but I run more for my own group hmm. than I play. In fact, I probably run solely for my own group at the moment, but I almost exclusively play for the playhouse. I've run one scenario for the playhouse so far, which is currently being edited, which is another Miskatonic repository scenario set in the theatres of France, which is good fun. Uh, but yeah, so at the moment, it will probably will end up uh, drifting towards Keeper again. But that's the wonderful thing about the Playhouse is that we have so many talented Keepers that actually are, I can sit back. Not saying I'm a talented Keeper, but I, I can sit back and I can play because there are so many people saying, oh, I want to run that scenario. Oh, I want to run that scenario there. Whereas in your home group, you fall into your own dynamics. And actually, to be fair, people in our home group are stepping up and running one shots as well. So we've got we've got that balance there. That's but, great. Uh, That's you are you are blessed, young man. <laughs> I'm I'm not complaining at all. I'm not complaining. Yeah, I don't get to play much, but that's fine. I have <laughs> I have a lot of fun with. Uh, I've got great players, and almost everything we do is like mini campaign. It's the same players, over and over and over. Um, well, we'll have to get you playing in a playhouse game at some point. Oh, just well, there are a few Invictus scenarios on the repository. I'm sure we can get something. Send up. me an invite. Absolutely. I, I'd love to meet any author who can who willing to write for Cthulhu Invictus. Um, it's it's starting to become our major focus. Uh, it's really our bestseller, so we're going to be producing more Cthulhu Invictus material. Um, Fantastic! And you know we we need help carrying the water. How do you, Stu? How do you find um, playing at the table? You know, running running for people home versus playing. Uh, for recording, playing online, uh, you know, playing via Zoom. Uh, there is definitely, I, I feel like there's a difference between, right? Whether it's in the descriptions, uh, you know, if you're playing. we I haven't played a game that we haven't recorded in probably, <laughs> probably like 10 years, unless it's at a con, right? So it, 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 in the beginning, it was weird. Uh, you know, just and it, it makes you think about the game differently, the descriptions differently, all that kind of stuff. But, but how, how do you feel about the, the difference between? I'm quite an emotive keeper, and when running games in person, I will be standing up, I will be walking around, I use a lot of physical handouts. I really enjoy making props and handouts, so I will chucking things at people as well. And you can't do that online. Because if you stand up and then I've most over there, I'm out of shot. <laughs> so the recording, <laughs> or I'm away from the microphone. So I, I think you're right. You become much more descriptive online. You become much more, again, much more theatre of the mind. In person, you could quickly draw a scribble a map. Here we go. Look at that there. Here are your handouts. No, now you've got to read the handout. You've got to think about the handout. You've got to envisage what the handout looks like. Um, personally, I have to admit, I do prefer playing in person. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think you get that nice dynamic and you get through more we we ran Day of the Beast it started off in the pandemic entirely virtual and we were taking well, two hour sessions every every week and we were getting through at a fairly pace and then the lockdown restrictions started to lift and we all met up and we got through almost as much as we'd done in, <laughs> in, a, in a three months or four months of playing online as we did um an afternoon of playing in person it's fantastic uh but again i think you think about things more when you're playing online because you you know that everything that you say has to count because if it gets cut off if you lose it you can't easily repeat yourself in recording so when i'm running in person again i'm a bit more fast and loose and i'll throw words out all over the place 
I'm much more, I'm much slower, I'm much more thoughtful, and I describe everything in much more detail when I'm playing in uh, on an online setting as well. Both have their both have their their bonuses, both have their disadvantages. But personally, I prefer in person. Sorry, Newman. I I, I have to say <laughs> that players tend to be more respectful on online games because they're they're not cutting each other off. And they, uh, unless they're totally oblivious, they're not trying to hog screen time. Um, in in tabletop, in like where you know when you're physically together, that doesn't always tend to be the case. But the snacks are a lot better when oh, you're yeah. all together. <laughs> um, I you know at my age, getting a group together for Call of Cthulhu is like okay, we're having a dinner party. We're setting out a whole spread. We're going to be here all day. We're going to be eating. We're going to be drinking. It's going to be like an event. The problem is those are very hard to organize with scheduling, yeah. you know, adults, careers, children, geography. I mean, I play with people in Massachusetts. I play with people in New Jersey. I play with people way out on Long Island. I play with people in the five boroughs of New York. Um, you know, but if I do this virtually, I can play with my friends in the desert states, in the Pacific, you know, in the Northwest, and you know, my my friends who are relatively close in Jersey, you know, my yep. friends in Ohio. Um, I can get, you know, it allows you, uh, it solves that problem of distance. It does. It really does. And and you can showcase if you're recording and, and, and producing, you can showcase talent from across the world on your table. I'll go back to your point about the, the dinner party. So uh, my wife recently ran Good Vibes Only, which is a Miskatonic repository scenario by Phaedro Fluru um, on the repository. And it has certain tasks that need to be done, but it also features a, a, a lunchtime scene. And the lunchtime scene at that scene in, in the scenario are served vegetarian vegan pizzas. So he called in and had delivered for us oh, vegetarian oh, vegan pizzas nice. for our break over the lunch. It's, it's you can't do that online. Well, you could. You could call up your pizza place. Right, okay, I want to deliver to that house and that house and that house across the world. Can you deliver at the same time? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Every every Cthulhu Invictus game that I play live, uh, there are two different types of bread and two different types of flavored oil on the table for just dipping and snacking everything has to be period so yep. meats and cheeses and you know you know we, we we used to do hummus and then we realized nope hummus is not you know it's not period <laughs> to the roman empire so we cut out hummus so it's like nuts and cheeses and anything Fantastic. that would have existed and so much wine so <laughs> <laughs> what an awful thing that must be for you how terrible how can you cope <laughs> we we do have some garum. People do give us garum. We haven't opened it yet. <laughs> but um yeah. But yeah. But it just adds that little bit of extra immersiveness, doesn't it? No, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful when you can do it. It's yeah. just so much more difficult. Absolutely. All right. Are, are, is there anything else, John? I do you have any I questions know. for us? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so awesome? I suppose. So, um, yeah. Um, when actually, I do have a question. Okay. When That's coming nice. up with a scenario for Golden Goblin, do you start at the end, or do you start at the beginning? I never start at the end because the ending doesn't belong to me. The narrative belongs to the players. Um, it's a my opinion, speaking for me, it is a good keeper and author's job to always understand that the narrative does not belong to you. You write possibilities, you write options, you write opportunities for tragedy or heroics or cowardice. You give, you write situations, but the narrative ultimately never and never belongs to you. So you can't write an ending. You could write possibilities. You can write possible endings. Um, but you should, I never write with an ending. I write with a situation. And then I think it would be cool if it ends this way. 
but it could end this way and it might end this way or the characters and this is wonderful when it happens they break the narrative and do something completely unexpected and they have an yep. ending that i never anticipated and that's magical that's wonderful because usually when I run things, it's a play test. <laughs> so I'm kind of half hoping they break it so I can make it better. But no, I never write with the end. I never write with the ending. I write possibilities and possible endings. Because if I've got an ending in mind, my writing is going to be steered towards that narrative, which becomes a railroadie, which limits the player's options and creativity. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So do you well, write um, with do you do? You, oh God, John! I was going to say on the heels of that, how, how would you describe your writing process then, Sue? I start with an introductory scene. So I start. Where are the investigators at the beginning of this? So host and hostility. I knew that it was going to be three invest uh, one investigator at a ball. So I wrote the ball scene first, and then sort of took it from where it came from. The lost and found, which is the train one I've written. I've said they're on a train. They're going to a layover at this station. Right. Where do we go from there? And I completely agree. You, the players will take you in all sorts of different ways. The The ending is very much the domain of the players there. I quite like putting, here are some suggestions. Here, here are, If they go down this route, this is what could happen. If they go down this route, this is what could happen. But if they go down this route here, it's up to you. It's it's leaving it loose-ended as well. I agree. I'm don't. not a particularly big fan of very, very railroady. oh, this is the only path that you can follow. But... In a campaign, I do quite like it if you've got, right, this is the ending of the scenario, and this is how you can tie it into the next scenario in the campaign. Because if it's, oh, you've got a complete different tangent here, well, you could possibly bring it back round to the main story of the campaign this way, this way, this way, and this way. I think that's quite a nice way of doing it. But I agree with everything you said, Oscar. That's... Well, thank you. Yeah, we called that the uh, the web of the narrative. Um, there are always multiple paths to get to the same sections. There, you never, you never try and have a bottleneck. You never have the narrative hanging on one role or one scene or one NPC, um, because you don't want to just, you know, halfway through the scenario, just okay. I guess we're playing board games. We 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 burn the only book, you know. We <laughs> killed the only NPC, and I will credit Lisa Paddle with pounding that concept into me relentlessly um for probably the first decade of us working together um a good editor is like chemotherapy you you, you suffer <laughs> and it almost kills you but you get so much better after and um yeah so that's not something that i learned easily but uh that's that i attribute to her to uh, learn how not to bottleneck yeah. Failing forwards, I like, is, is a very good term. You fail that role, well, you still get the information, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think there's a difference, too, between, you know, like strict railroad, right? And, you know, the social contract, you sit down at the table, it's okay, we're playing this game, uh, you know, we're going to go res rescue Princess Peach from the castle, Cool. We know where we're going, right? We're not. We don't kill the innkeeper, and like now we run the tavern. We know where we're going. It's the stuff that happens in between, is the stuff that makes the story, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, just flavor that the, the characters, you know, players want to add. Uh, but but we agree. Yes, we do the thing that you set before us, because that's why we're here. Right? Yep. That doesn't make it a railroad. Uh, or you know, halfway like, through, you decide it's too dangerous, and you turn back. Which is also one of my favorite. Like I will, I will have the level of threat suddenly rise before the climax, and give the players options. Like, you know, nobody goes down this road that often. It's not like it's <laughs> killing ten people a year. It's like one or two people every two or three years. Do we really need to go? <laughs> and I've and I've had players like, look. We were hired to find this guy. To find this guy, we found him. He's dead. Here is his car. Nobody hired us to find the thing that killed him. <laughs> so I'm going home, and literally, like, I I choose life. I'm not going to do this. Which again is a great role playing moment when the group is like, you know, do we do we go all the way? You know, when when 
So you can railroads are fine, but you can always jump off. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was like Earl in the Pines too. And when, when when you know when we got to the end, it's like, all right, well, we we need to do this other part. And you know, part of the party was like, mm, we don't really have to do that. <laughs> right. The, the best games are where you turn the players against themselves and you just sit back and watch them argue for 45 minutes oh, yeah. about what to do. And you're like, my work here is done. <laughs> um, Very I've easy to keep those sessions. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are my favorites. If you can pull it off, if you can get them that connected. But that's really if you've got great players. And I'm, I'm blessed I've got great players that really uh, dig into the material. Well, we have an excellent keeper. Yeah. <laughs> I try. No, I love I'll, you more. I'll get there one day. <laughs> and anything that we haven't asked you or or brought up as point of conversation that you'd like to uh, talk about soon? Um, I think I think we've covered quite a lot. It's uh, can't really add much more to this. I think, but. Uh... <laughs> Well, we'd love to have you as a drop-in player for our Cthulhu Invictus campaign. Oh, let, let if me you'd know like, when. If you'd like to show up for, for one adventure, um, we'd be more than happy we, uh, to have you. As, as long as the time zones work out, I'm happy to. Right. Go, absolutely. You, well, when do we, Jesus, we usually play 9 p.m. my time. Yeah, no, it would be like, it'd be like three in the morning for <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be like a... Two pot of coffee night for you, unfortunately, with the time zone. If it's so. a weekend and a one-off, I think we can manage it. But <laughs> all right, well, we'll keep that in mind. We'd love to, you know. I'm always trying to find converts. Yeah. Oh, I've, we, I've, I've, well, obviously, we've got a lot of Roman history here. I, I live fairly near to York, which, of course, was a Eber Arkham. So yeah. I've, I've, I've got, a, I've got a bit of an interest in, uh, in the Roman Empire. And of, of course, being a man, we think about the Roman Empire. Yes. Time, <laughs> when that meme hit, I was so ashamed. I'm like, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I'm like, every goddamn day. Uh, it's kind of what I do for a living. But okay. uh, how often? That's funny. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap this up, Stu. It was a, it was a pleasure to have you yes, on. Thank We'd, you for uh, coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if you have things in the future that you'd like to come on and discuss, obviously you're more than welcome to uh, come and stop by. We'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. And if you want to invite John and I to sit down and a game, him and I never get to play as players together. Oh, be, I, I think we me. absolutely can do. And uh, yeah, we, we will get you onto the Mystic Playhouse podcast. We'll, we'll cool. find us another as, if, if there's a, If you ever run an Invictus, I I'm need sure. to be there. <laughs> <laughs> right, Newman, we'll put that on the list. We're going to have to... <laughs> Find some Invictus campaigns on them. There are, there are. Oh, I can tell you actually. Uh, so one thing that we've done with the Playhouse, a uh, bit of a, uh, a bit of a shout out here, is we've created an interactive map of scenarios uh, and where they are set. Uh, so you can find that at our website, mistonicplayhouse.com. But looking at the map, I can tell you that there are. Oh, it takes a bit of time to load. How many Invictus scenarios have we got? We have got four <laughs> Invictus scenarios on the repository that oh. are set location. So we will run one of those for you. Absolutely. Uh, nice. I think I might have read one of them. So let's hope We've not. got three that we can run for you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Unless anybody out there wants to write more Invictus for the repository, in which case, please do. Yes, please. Awesome. All right. Well, Thank you. We'll uh, have links for stuff in the show notes. Uh, again, Stu, thanks for coming on. Oscar, it was a pleasure to have you as co-host. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing, we'll this, be doing for... this again. Yeah. Yep. Doing this thanks moving forward a little me. bit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>